Welcome to the Earn Your Edge podcast. I'm Corey Lumberg from Altus Performance. And on our last episode, we had the 20th ranked player in the world. And this week, we're following up with the 21st ranked player, Abe Answer. Abe is a recent Australian Open champ. He's the breakout star of the international team on the last President's Cup. And Cam and I were probably most excited to get him on because his journey has been a pretty unique one. We've had nearly 100 of these chats with really good players, and there's a pretty well-defined path of what it looks like to become a PGA Tour player that we've learned from all these conversations, but Abe's story is different. He's from Reynosa, Mexico, didn't really have a blueprint to follow for how you get from a border town in Mexico with one golf course to one of the best players in the world. So He's forged his own path and it offers us a chance to understand some more unique traits and actions that have supported a little bit different road to the top. So we know you'll enjoy this. We also talked to Abe about prepping for his first masters and get into some really good short game chat. Abe is renowned for his spin around the greens and he gives us some of his secrets there. So please enjoy episode 76 of the earn your edge podcast with Abe answer. And before you dig in, I wanted to send you over to totalgolftrainer.com. They're giving our listeners a 10% discount on any product by using the code earn your edge. And right now, they're also trying to raise a, a bunch of money for breast cancer research. $20 of each sale of their special pink GT kits will go to breast cancer research. We've discussed this product in the past. You've seen us post with it on Instagram. It's a little foam rod with a red ball in the end. And it's really the best all around training aid that we use. It's our Swiss army knife. We use it for a million different things. It can help improve chipping and pitching, uh, bunker play full swing with a number of settings that provide instant feedback on pretty much any technical cue that you like. And we love it because it's so adjustable. This one tool has all but replaced many of our other tried and true training aids. We can leave all this at home when we travel and we just take the Total Golf Trainer V2 to do the job. So head to totalgolftrainer.com, use the code earn your edge for a discount, but now enjoy our chat with Abe Answer. I excited Cameron this morning when I told him that I heard that you had a nickname of, of Aussie Abe. Is that true? Yeah, I mean it's it started at the at the President's Cup. Yeah, they, I don't know, they, I'm jealous. I don't I don't know where <laughs> they just started. Uh, they just started chanting Aussie Abe. I guess yeah, it began when I won the uh, so the Australian Open and they are they just started telling me how much they enjoy like watching me play over there and I loved I always loved playing in, in Australia and. I've had some good results uh, there in the World Cup and the LC Open and the President's Cup. And it just, I don't know, they started chanting out of nowhere and it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Right. You clearly endeared yourself to the Australian fans. And if I know anything about Australians, it's, it's that we love an underdog. We love players that demonstrate their kind of competitive spirit in the heat of battle. Do you think that's why the Australians uh, kind of hooked onto you and gave you the nickname and probably inherited you as their uh, Mexican son? <laughs> I think so, and it's always been so much, so much fun playing over there. And the the crowds, the people are so genuine. They absolutely love golf, and like you say, I think they like an underdog. And before the LC Open, I don't think a lot of Australians really knew anything about me, except a couple of guys that that woke up to me, and they're like, "Mate, not a lot of us know about you, but I've been betting on you for a whole year." <laughs> But I've been betting on you for a whole year as my dark horse, and you made me a lot of money. So <laughs> nice. that, that kind of that put me up, and that was, I thought that was pretty funny. That was at the at the LC Open, and then from there, just I fell in love with the, with the country and the, the golf courses and the people, and I guess they uh, they started to like me too. Yeah, well, the cat's out of the bag now, so to speak. You're definitely not a dark horse. In fact, you're 
on a short list of uh, players these days that we would be betting on, right? Putting yourself into contention, one of the best players in the world. And we've got some excitement coming up in a little less than uh, 11 or 12 days now, which is your uh, debut at Augusta National. And if it's not out of bounds, I want to talk about where you were yesterday because you had a, a, a nice a preliminary trip out there, didn't you? Yeah, I'd spend... Uh... Pretty much all day at Augusta National. That was my first time ever. I've never even been there to to watch the uh, to even watch or walk around or play. So that was my first time, and it did not disappoint. The uh, played 27 holes. It was absolutely amazing. Play play the back nine twice, and I feel like I could have played a lot more holes, and I didn't even feel tired. I was like, man, let's keep this going. Had great caddies that have been there for a long, long time. That my caddy, caddy for Arnold Palmer, and his last round that he was at the when he went to Augusta for the last time, and Jack, and just so many guys. And the stories, the knowledge they have on the golf course is it's really unique to that place. Nick Evans was my host. He's Chad Evans' dad, and he's been there for like 23 years, and he knows everybody, knows all the stories. He gave me a tour of everything and um it took me and my partner it was me and, and Aaron Marquez my partner in the in the tequila business and it was great man we had so much fun Dale didn't get the invite your caddy Dale no Dale didn't get the, <laughs> he got left out he was uh having too much fun because it was his birthday so definitely we missed we missed him out there but he's gonna fly in as early as possible and uh, start getting to work when will you get on the grounds I'm going to get there probably Sunday, start practicing Sunday, since I want to play maybe nine every day and not get too tired. But I felt like I got a lot of work done yesterday, even though it was it was probably be completely different. It was a little soft and playing very long, actually. So they were all, all the tee boxes were tipped out and everything was pretty soft. So, but I, I mean, I've seen, at least I've seen as long as he can really it can really play so it was a little bit it wasn't hot but the, the ball wasn't traveling it was super humid i hit a, I wore out my six iron all day and i mean i hit a couple of five woods into 11 because i mean it, i mean the ball it was into the wind and it was all the way all the way back and it wasn't you get any no roll at all so i was like man that's not a nice hole to hit five wood into. <laughs> i'm sure that this is not quite how you pictured your first master's experience so knowing, I don't mean to put a damper on it, but knowing that just because you're going to be playing it, hopefully closer to a, a real, what we expect to see in April, are there any things that you're you're looking at like, man, I really wish this was happening? What do you anticipate missing in that first experience, knowing that we're in the pandemic and this will be a different, this will be a very unique master's experience in November? I think just the people. I think what really makes it the full experience is just seeing every hole, you know, just with 10, 10 rows deep on pretty much every hole or just people set up at, at aiming corner. And I feel like 12 is going to feel so much relaxed. I mean, you're still going to feel nervous because it's still not an easy, not an easy shot, but what makes it the full I think, experience. And I think for first timers or younger guys and not only in the masters, but in majors, I think that crowds have made a difference because there's really nobody out there, obviously, and what makes it a little bit different in majors is you feel kind of the pressure. There's so many people looking at you, and so I think that that will play uh, a little bit. That should probably help, like a guy, a first timer like me, or younger guys that haven't really played that much on, on majors or event or big time events. Was there anything that surprised you more than just the change in elevation when you first walked on the property in terms of like playing the golf course? You probably talked to guys in advance and you've had conversations about the gust and you've watched it on TV. But uh, anything specific that comes to mind from just 27 holes yesterday, you're like, wow, I didn't anticipate that. 
Yeah, there were a couple of tee shots that I that I had picture in my head from TV that there were nothing like that. For example, 11. I feel like 11 looked so tight on TV, but it's not really. I mean, you get plenty of room to hit on there. And granted, the ball, I mean, the landing areas yesterday were, were going to be probably completely different that they're going to be in a couple of weeks. But uh, that tee box felt like that. It was there's a lot more room than I, I was expecting. The bunkers on 18 on the fairway and number five, I didn't think they were that deep. They are very deep. And if you're in there, it's not definitely not good. But other than that, definitely in the undulation, there was definitely more, a lot more Healy that I wasn't expecting on TV. But I, I've heard that from every single person. And yeah, it's going to be different because they just overseed it. So it's still not all completely there. So it's a little bit of a mix of Bermuda and, and, and rye. So that's going to be and I don't see that being completely right during the tournament so i think it's going to be the first time that it's going to be a mix so that, that's going to be interesting it might play a little bit longer than than what it normally normally does you know we're talking about you playing in your first masters which is a pretty unlikely landing spot for a kid from Reynosa, Mexico or McAllen, Texas. And usually that's really where we like to start these conversations is to understand what was it about your development? What was it about your origin story that led you to the success that you've had now? And as Cam and I were, were discussing getting on the phone and chatting, it was really exciting for us because I feel like we've had 75 or so conversations like this with really incredible high performers and your story is going to be really unique from those. So maybe as a starting point, can you paint a picture for us, for the listener of what does it look like when you're, because I know you started very, very young. What does it look like for an early involvement, six to 10 years old, Abe Answer and Reynosa? What were those early days? What were the facilities like? What were the coaches like? What does that early involvement look like for you? I was very lucky because in, in Reynosa, I mean, we only have one golf course. And um, my dad was the one that introduced me to the game. So he took me to the golf course since, like I've said, it very, like, very, very young, since I can remember. And started hitting balls there I mean, as soon as, as soon as I could. And the, just the local pro, that, I mean, the just the head pro that would be there at the time would just kind of help me with, I don't know, like gripping the club and make sure I have like the, the fundamentals down. And then after that, I just went off and up and never really done any, any much of, of teaching or, or lessons and stuff like that. But age six, it was the youngest category that you can start playing tournaments in Mexico. There was, what would you call it? It's just like a little junior tour. And it will be in the north part of Mexico, and we'll have an event every one a month. Yeah, it was it was one a month, and it will just drive. Me and my dad will just drive from uh, Reynosa everywhere, I mean, anywhere we'll be, and and play that event. And at the end of the season, we'll uh, they'll pick like the best five from each category, and then we'll have like a like a national event. It will be we were in the northern part, so we will play the north against all the other parts of Mexico and figure out what what region was was the best and i i remember loving absolutely loving those events at the other much fun and there was a lot of good players it just it's just weird i mean it's not easy you can lose track really easy of because if you grew up in reynosa and the pga tour seems like impossible like there's like how am i gonna how am i gonna get there and which I, I still think is when I think look back and I'm like I don't know how everything lined up for me to make it here. But what I think it helped me a lot was that I absolutely 
loved the game. My dad gave me everything he could to have a chance to to compete in whatever tournaments I can he can afford to to take me. And it wasn't easy. I know now that I know how much cost to travel and all that stuff. I was like, I don't know how like really how he did it because it's not like we were we had a lot of money or anything. So I was like, so now now that I realize all that, I'm like, man, I'm so thankful. And I didn't play any AJG events. We just didn't really know better. I really, I mean, we didn't know that was the the route you had to go to get to get noticed by coaches. So we just played all the tournaments in Mexico. And then if I get like a, because sometimes if you finish in the top something, you'll get an invite to like the Optimist or like the Junior World or stuff like that. And I would try to qualify for everything I could and and whatever we can afford to go, we'll we'll just go. And we just kind of played by ear. That's kind of how really how we did it and played some international junior events. Like I said, like the Optimist and like the U.S. kids growing up, too. And I guess it was like Jackie Lyland or something like that, I, if I can, if I'm not mistaken. And then after that, I really wanted to because I know most most guys, the, the route was to go to the college in the U.S. and turn pro and get kind of ready like that. So I was like, well, I want to do that. And when I turned 15 that's what we make the decisions like okay well let's let's move to the u.s so that way you can i would like learn english and it was right there it's across the border so that that was that's helpful you 11 know? miles right yeah it's just yeah pretty much just cross the bridge and, and you're there and we did that and i started learning english and i started kind of playing a little bit more and still didn't really realize what i needed to do to be uh because i thought it's like oh you just go to high school and play high school golf and that should people should notice you but that's that's so far away from (laughs) from reality you know and i played i mean i played good but obviously the the competition wasn't super super strong once you get to the to the state level then yeah the competition was really good can i jump in can we book note that real quick and come back to high school and then how you get seen in high school and then go to odessa and then on to ou with hibble but before we get there i've got a couple of questions when you did travel to the States, or maybe you were traveling in Mexico, did you see players that either you're playing against these days on the PGA Tour or you played against on Corn Ferry Tour, meaning other players that you were playing against as a kid that you saw as better than you, as greater than you, and you then were kind of had them in your in your windshield chasing them down? Yeah, there were, I mean, there were so, like I said, there were so many guys once we got to those events. Like growing up, once I got to like, I was like 12 or 13, you start seeing kind of who's going to be like really good or not or and there were so many guys that i was like man these guys are going to be stars and like i said it's it's easy to kind of lose lose track or lose interest or perfect yeah and that's where i that's where that's where i wanted to go for the next question is even though you didn't have a formal instructor and the, we think of instructors as the folks that would uh, teach us the x's and o's of how to swing or how to pot or how to chip etc you did have a coach and that coach was your dad so it's very easy for a player in your shoes and players that would be listening to this to get sidetracked at 13, 14 years old and say, look, there's player X and player Y. And I feel like in reality, they are so much better than me. But that's not apparently the attitude that you used. And that's not the pathway that you followed. You didn't throw things in the too hard basket and say, look, I'm never going to be that good. Apparently you said, no, I can get that good. It's just going to take me time and effort, right? So I want to go back to the car rides that you had with your dad and clearly life lessons would be learned on those car rides conversations would would be had about being an adult even though you were a child doing the things that he's observed or he did observed in other high-performing athletes 
What were those conversations like and what maybe were a couple of the key lessons that you learned from dad that then you kind of held on to through those teenage years to continue to strive and fight to become the best version of yourself? Yeah, I think telling my dad, he never really taught me any like actual technical like swing or anything like that. He was more of kind of like a life coach, which I think helped me quite a bit. And I still think about all the things he taught me. And the most important thing is being being humble, especially in this sport, because one way you can feel like you're on the top of the world, you can miss a shot. And then the next day you shoot seven over. So, I mean, it's just how it goes. And uh, he always taught me, it's like, it doesn't matter how good you are or whatever. There's always going to be somebody better. So play, obviously, your best. I know I always had the feeling that I have to really work really hard to stay at the at the highest level if I ever going to reach another high level. And, and now that I people tell me, well, you're just, you're well ranking. You're, I mean, you're there. It's like, but I... I don't like to feel that way. I, I like I, I like to feel that I belong, obviously, and that when I tee it up, I can beat anybody. But it's just the feeling that it makes me like, man, I I'm still hungry. It's still like I, I can't let it, anything slip or anything like feel comfortable. I feel like I will have to work hard every single time to stay up there to keep moving forward. And that's kind of like what he always his vision was, or how he was in business or whatever you know in life. And that really stuck to me and just that that mindset. But yeah, those those rides were awesome. I miss him so much. And we all we had a big suburban all the time and we all packed like three, four other guys in there and, and we'll go to the tournaments. My dad was like, Yeah, yeah, I'll take them, don't worry. Other <laughs> other parents are like busy or, or they're not that interested and I think he he made it fun and he never he was so supportive and never in his life if I shot seven under or seven over his reaction was always the same as long as i didn't act like a idiot you know like i mean if i gave my all and and really tried to play good and it didn't it didn't really matter where older dads at some point i think their dream got bigger than their kids dream you know of like making it and they they get so involved and they get like crazy about if their kids play bad it's like man this is not an easy sport like the bad rounds are going to happen and then i can just see him like after a round getting chewed up by their dad i'm like and they ended up hating golf so I was like, it's a big. That's one of the biggest reasons why I think I always kept loving golf, and I never really felt like, man, I don't want to play this. Yeah, there's such great wisdom in there, particularly. Well, the last point you made about how he was a conduit, he helped you become the player, but he wasn't forcing you. He wasn't living his dreams through you. And importantly, what you said, that attitude of becoming, even these days with your world ranking 21, 20 in the world. You really don't feel like you've made it, but yet you have this attitude of still striving for more, still becoming more, a better version of yourself every day. I want to go back to the high school experience, the book note, where I kind of deviated the conversation. And it's one thing to do the hard work which you were doing through your pre-adolescent years, but then you get to America with this aspiration of playing college golf and you're developing your technique on your own. And we have a conversation oftentimes that's centered around seizing opportunity where you get into a position in the tournament and some people have this character where they just wilt when they've got to hit that shot. When they're leading the tournament going into the second round, they've shot a personal best score. What's your relationship like with kind of stretching your boundaries back when you're in your teenage years where you might have shot a low score, or you might have been in contention in a tournament and you stepped up perhaps? Do you remember those experiences? Yeah, there's been a couple instances, and and it's been weird because I've never felt like obviously you feel you feel nervous, and when you need to pull off a shot or you know everything is on the line, you don't know like truly how it's gonna how you're gonna hit the shot or if you're gonna make it or not. But deep down inside, you you feel like I don't know I'm gonna figure out a way and it's gonna work out. And that kind of always had that 
you think there's only there's not you don't feel that obviously every tournament but there's some instances in in my career that i that i've definitely felt that and i've been able to kind of get better every single year in any situation and but it's it is uh, yeah like a feeling hard it's kind of hard to explain that even though you feel really nervous sometimes you don't even, can't even feel your hands and you just really truly deeply know that you're just going to pull it off when was the most recent example of that at the Aussie Open, there were a couple of shots that, even though I had a, a good lead, but and it was it was playing tough. It was windy, and there was a couple of five woods that I went with on the on par five. So I think it was sixteen or seventeen, I believe, at the lakes. And I mean, this it was blowing like twenty five. It's like it's pretty much like an island green, We're blowing from the left, and uh, it's a perfect number. But you had to hit it so good just because of how the wind was going. And I, I told my cat, I just. I feel it. I think it's going to be perfect and ended up working out just, just beautifully. So that's a couple of shots that it could have definitely changed everything. So I felt that. And in the World Cup, there were a couple of really tough kind of pitch shots and or up and downs that you normally wouldn't wouldn't try if it was like a normal event. But I had to pull them off. And uh, President's Cup, there were definitely a couple of shots there. They were, I mean, that, that whole week were a lot, of, a lot of cool shots that you just had to pull off. And in terms of tools that you lean on in those situations, are there things that you tell yourself? I mean, when I go into a shot, it's like you've done this a million times. The only difference is that you have to pull this one off right here, you know, like because you practice and you do the shots. And I like to practice shots that you normally won't have just to not feel that uncomfortable when you have to pull them off. You know, I just, just so I keep telling myself, you've done this a million times. This is one more time. Just do the same thing. And other than that, I don't really think much. I just try to do it. Here at Altus, we are proud partners of Titleist, and we want to quickly tell you about our favorite irons. Cam and I, along with many of our clients at Altus, are gaming the Titleist T-Series. The engineering ingenuity that has made Titleist the long-standing number one iron on the PGA Tour delivers three strikingly new iron designs as part of the Titleist T-Series. Powered by breakthrough technology, including max impact for maximum speed and distance control across the face, the new T-Series T100, T200, and T300 models offer a combination of power, performance, playability, and feel, unlike anything Titleist has ever designed. Visit Titleist.com to learn more about the T-Series irons today. Moving on from junior golf, and then you went to Odessa, and then had a really successful few years at OU, and right away get through Web.com or Corn Ferry Q school and have a successful year, then get your PGA tour card. And that's what I want to spend a little bit of time talking about is that first year where things have been going really, really well for you. And then all of a sudden there's some adversity and there's that first year came with a lot of missed cuts. And I would love to dig into what the thought process was, whether or not, or how you, you would have dealt with the doubt that inherently comes from when you've had a lot of success and then all of a sudden are kind of hitting the teeth with, you know, missing 13 of 19 cuts in that first year on PJ tour. I'm assuming that that came with a lot of reflection and I, I am especially curious as how you attack that without a coach to kind of help lead you or guide you during that process. And I would guess that it, it probably came with a lot of tinkering as you're trying to solve on your own, what was going on and how you were going to get to the other side of it. Yeah, that was definitely a very, very rough year, but a year that definitely helped me like tremendously to where I where I'm at now. So I played good my first. I guess it was my second year at the Corn Ferry Tour. The first year I had just conditional status, didn't really play much. So I get I get to the PGA Tour and I realize how different some guys hit the ball right because you get I get I get to Napa 
that was the first event. Yeah, that was the first event in Napa. And, and I was telling the story not too long ago. And Rory sets up next to me. I think it was the first time or the only time he's played that event. Because I guess he had to with that rule that you can you need to play some events that you normally don't. So I was setting up. It was a little chilly. And I'm like thinking over here not hitting very good. I'm like, God, this feels horrible. And then Rory starts hitting some shots. And I'm like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I mean, that ball is just coming out straight up in the air. Like five irons going like 220 cold into the wind. I'm like. Man, I don't know if my game can really <laughs> can be good out here because I mean I don't hit it like that. So it, it does give you a little bit of doubt and like, man, do I need to change kind of how I play? Or so I start wanted to, uh, right off the bat I wanted to hit it higher. Like, man, I need to hit it higher. These guys, I mean, tough guys in the world, they're hitting it like this. Like, there's no chance. So I didn't know better, and I yeah, started tinkering with equipment and shafts and try to hit it higher and longer, obviously. And that's where I I say that would be in my career a good. A good spot to where I should or should have or have another extra eyes and another pair of eyes to kind of reel me in. Like, hey, you don't need to change anything. Or also, my swing started to change just from equipment. You know, you you get something that is not really right for you, and you start kind of making your swing a little bit different to uh, to kind of cater that club. And yeah, after a while, I played terrible. I played. I didn't miss. I didn't. I didn't make a cut in in a long time. I think my first cut was well, where was that? I remember it was in San Antonio. And I probably just made the cut because I play there every single day. That's where I practice. <laughs> so that was that was really really rough for me. And, and mentally, it was, it was it's tough that you think you're doing the right things, and then you just don't see the results. You see even worse results every time. So mentally, it was was rough. And then I uh, a buddy of mine, his name is uh, Jaime Gomez. He's an instructor. He played on tour for for a while. I think he made it to the PJ tour back home. I went back to McAllen for um, just to see my family or whatever. And, well, there he's a great he is a great player. He's actually an instructor as well. And uh, we were just looking at kind of like, well, well, I looked at my swing back then, and I was like, wow, because I never really thought about that. My sw- my swings changed so much just by hitting different equipment by itself. I I thought I was swinging it the same. So that made me realize it's like, wow, okay. And then I just came back and I said, you know what? I'm gonna go back to whatever worked. I'm gonna go back to my swing, my equipment, everything, and I'm just gonna play my golf and see where that takes me. So that was kind of towards the end of the season on the PGA Tour, and I made some cuts, and I started seeing some better results. And I was like, okay, that's that's more like it. And I went back to, uh, lost my car, went back to the Corn Ferry. Didn't change anything, just kept that rolling. And I just said, whatever my game takes me, or whatever my game I came with the PGA Tour, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the same thing and just get better at what I do. If I'm so already kind of decent at something, I'm just going to get better at that and just keep grinding. So I did that, and then I had a really good season on the Corn Ferry that year. Didn't win, but I had like three second places or something. I, fin- I finished second on the money list at the very end of the season. That gave me a good position on the on the list to kind of get into more events. And after that, I just I haven't changed anything. I kept doing the same thing, and I just kept getting better at what I at my kind of golf, I, what I do. And now that I realize, it's like I don't need to play like anybody else. I just gotta really hone my game and know what my weaknesses and what my strengths are, and just just get after those, you know, get better at what I'm, what I'm good and even just work on my weaknesses. I would love to dig into that because after an experience like that, where you felt like you needed to make some changes and I'm sure that left some scar tissue and some hesitation to make any kind of a big change. But at the same time, I can see, and and what we know about all the high performers that we talk to is there's this real devotion to continuous improvement. So you've got to balance that desire. I want to keep getting better, but I also 
want to make sure that I stay true to who I am. And we're getting near the end of the year to where with a lot of our players, the team kind of meets and we look at stats and we reflect on what the year brought us and where we can improve. Do you have a team while, while there, you don't necessarily have a swing coach? What does that process look for you right now? And as you're looking at ways that you can improve while still honoring those ways, those superpowers that you have, like what does that process look like? And as you look forward to the next year to get instead of the top 20 in the world, as you're looking at ways to, to get into the top 10 in the world, what are those things that you're looking at? Yeah, so in the last three years, so right after I, when I got back to the PGA Tour, one of the biggest things was like, I didn't really do much about physical training. I did a little bit, but nothing crazy. So that was a big key. I was like, okay, this is something that I need to improve tremendously. And I met my, my trainer and been, we've been working together for over over three years now, I believe. And so that has been a part that has been really big for me and has helped me a lot. Just feel better out there and be a little bit faster and stronger and just to actually make my career longer and make sure I don't get hurt, right? So that's been one of the key parts of why I've been able to kind of get better, I think. Also, putting. I started working with my with Ramon, my putting coach, at the players. Not these players that got canceled, but the one prior. So it's been over a little over a year. I think my putting has been a little more, definitely more consistent. And that's where I felt like before... If I had a good putting ground, obviously it's easy to say, but a good putting week is definitely going to be a good result. But there's, it was just very streaky, and now I feel like it's a little more consistent. Not that I every day I'm going to play putt great, but definitely a lot more consistent, and I feel a little more confident on the greens. So that's been a, another big thing, key part of of kind of moving up on the on the in the world. And I don't have a I don't have like a team meeting at the end of the season. I have a meeting with my trainer and me and me and Ramon talk about where I mean what we what we can get better. But it's just about now I, I feel like I have a good team and a good system that right off the bat I know like this year I know I where I need to get better or you know what I mean? And then if I have a meeting with my trainer, it's like, you know what, I feel really tired in the on the playoffs. Like we need to we need to figure out a way to how I schedule my events or how we train to because I felt healthy and uh, but I was I just felt like I was slow I was I was kind of tired so this year we we catered everything towards being feeling not tired at all during uh, majors and big events and obviously the, the playoffs because then if you're feeling like you're kind of winding down and you're feeling tired in the playoffs that's when you want to be peaking right because a good week and a good month in the playoffs can really change things. You just ask Dustin Johnson. Yeah, <laughs> he's got plenty of money. Money we can uh, we can get yeah. a loan from him, can't we? But yeah, and yeah, I mean, I I do look at stats. I I think Dale McCaddy looks at stats way more than I do. I like to keep it very simple. I know that this year, this past year, my wedges were not as good as this been before. But my mid irons and my driver and everything else, my scrambling was very good. Can I jump in and play devil's advocate there for a second? If we look at your posts or even some other people's posts on Instagram, we see some amazing short game shots, just six spin. I've even seen it in practice rounds as I've been witness to several um, in and around the PGA Tour, meaning uh, walking with you guys. And going back to the putting piece, statistically, the improvements that are there, the proofs in the pudding, so to speak, the work you've been doing with Ramon and on your own. But when I look at the short game stats, it's of all the stat categories, it's actually the weakest in terms of like strokes gained and also rank. 
And so then it brings to mind a question, and it's something that we debate here as coaches with our players all the time, is signal versus noise. Do we pay attention to a rank, whether it's a rank amongst your peers, be it 120th, 130th, whatever it may be, or the uh, strokes gained or lost rank? Do we pay attention to that and take action on it? Or do we just treat that as noise and trust in the knowledge that I see my player or you see yourself hit the shots you know that you're capable of and kind of let the stats be the stats and pay no attention to them? And as a book note to this, or as a bolt on to the end of this, is Bryson DeChambeau pays no attention at all to what the stats say. He only trusts his own instinct to develop his game where he feels is necessary and lets the score take care of and the stats take care of itself. So... I guess the question I have for you playing devil's advocate is the stats suggest that there is room for improvement in short game, but what would your counter to that be? Are those stats like last year's or this season or like this new season that has started? Last season, yeah. Okay. Is it scrambling or like or what is, or what what stats? Greenside play. Last year you were 110th in scrambling, uh, sorry, in strokes gained greenside, and the year before that you were 113th in strokes gained greenside. I don't, like, I don't even know how those stats even work. Yeah, proximity to the hole. So if we look at your uh, sand play, your proximity to the hole was 10.5 feet last season. The season before was 12 and a half feet. And that that's just in terms of like uh, sand proximity to the hole, right? But then you can look at from 0 to 10 yards, 10 to 20, 20 to 30, and then beyond 30 yards. And oh, I'm, okay. I'm not, and I'm not here to tell you you're not good at it. What no, I want no, 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 no. <laughs> I like because I never, I never look at it. And I don't like. I don't want to get into that much of, uh, of what it is. But no, that's good to know. Ken's uh, your playing coach. Oh shit! I, what, what, what am I? Uh, so scrambling. What is it? Scr- uh, scrambling is a different stat then. The scrambling is the conversion of a proxy. If you, right? just, if, you if, if you make obviously the putt. Right. So exactly. I'm, I'm curious what my number on that was. Scrambling, Corey. Do you have that accessible? I think your your scrambling, meaning the converting of the putt, will put you at like fiftieth uh, to sixtieth. That's just off the oh, top really? of my head. Corey's so bringing I'm just it up a right now. Putter than chipper. <laughs> but but again, the shots that I've seen you hit and the shots that we see posted on social media suggest otherwise, right? And that's where I come back to this this conversation or debate in my head: is that signal or a noise? Right, because sometimes the stats are misleading. So your scrambling was holy shit, tenth <laughs> last season on the PGA Tour at one twenty seventh oh, in well, strokes that, game around answer, the green. That that answers things. Yeah, I guess I'm a better putter than just a chipper. But uh, I don't know. I feel like I always liked short game, and I always liked uh, chipping, and that's where I spend the most time growing up. And it was always about you know I grew up where. I had uh, Bolatas and Max Flight Revolutions and all these balls like when I was like seven or six. And all I wanted to do is just to spin it. Like it was so much fun. And out of the car path, out of like we'll make little volcanoes on like the dirt and just, I mean, just rip the covers out of these balls and just different shots, like spin it with draw, spin it with fade. And that was just, I don't know, I thought it was so much fun. And I still do. I'm when I still get to an awesome short game area. I mean, I'm still like a kid hitting shot. I can be there all day. And I think that helps me with, with my short game. And that is funny because I, I didn't even know what those stats meant. So I pay no attention to them. It's all in the no, ways. No, no, no. I know. <laughs> I, I know. I, I, and, I won't, and I won't change anything. I felt like my bunker game last year wasn't, yeah, wasn't very good. But I feel like the really tough ones I got up and down, like super short sided, that you're like, oh, I'm, I mean, there's no, I'm screwed. And you somehow hit it to a foot and you're like, I mean, how did I do that? And then I have a very straightforward bunker shot and I hit it to like, I don't know, 12 feet and then miss the putt. So it's just, and I, and I worked at it. I feel like this this uh, season, I feel like I, I'm a better better bunker player. 
I think for me it's more of a mental thing as in when the shot is really tough, I get so honed in as like, I'm going to pull this off. I'm going to pull this off. And like, I, I figure out a way to do it. And then when I have a very straightforward, like a uh, bunker shot or like maybe a chip shot or whatever, I feel like I, I need to get the same sort of level of like, I need to really get this up and down or, or pick my spot or, or Intensity just really get, changes, doesn't yeah, it? exactly. So I don't, I don't want to, that's where I need to get better at, have the same intensity as if I'm absolutely super short sighted. And I know it's, there's only one little spot that I can land this. If not, I'm going to make double. So, and most of the time I, I've been able to pull those off. Like there's been some crazy shots lately that my caddy was like, I can't believe that. Like seriously, and <laughs> and then we we go to the next hole, and I have a straightforward, and then I hit a terrible. I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like just stuff like that. That's one thing that I definitely need to get better at. Is just more because the technique and everything is there. And I know I can hit the shot that I want. It's just more of like up here trying to get have the same intensity on every single shot. Nice. Well, I did a good job of playing bad cup. Maybe I didn't do a good job, but nonetheless, I did play bad cup. And I think Corey's got a question. He might play good cup now. I am. And because our, our listeners would be pissed off if I didn't ask you about it, even though we'll probably be difficult to describe podcast is not the best medium to give like technical instruction. But if you were to teach someone, if you were to say, all right, here's how I hit that. Like we're talking 20 yards fairway lie and you can make this ball spin back. It's pretty unbelievable. Like there's very few things that I feel like on a range at a PGA tour event where other players are like, holy shit, did you just see Abe hit this? Abe is over there hitting these pitch shots that are spinning back. It's hard to impress the peers that you have, but I know everyone kind of stops when they see you over by the short game area. So if you were going to teach someone how, all right, I'm going to rip the cover off of this. What are the one, two, three things that you're trying to do to achieve that level of spin around the greens on those tight lies? First thing is your wedge. It's got to have the perfect grind for how you swing it. And really trusting that, you know, like that grind, like just really knowing how your club gets delivered on that surface. And it changes if it's wet or dry, you know. So you got to get really good at that first, I feel like. And really knowing having the, the best grind on your on your wedge for your type of how you deliver the club. That is for me, that is where it all happens, is how the angle that your wedge kind of goes through the ball. And I like to swing. I like to say that I swing a lot of like out to in on the swing. But then if I look on video, it's just a feeling because I look on video. It does, it's not that much outside. To, and I when I come back, I do feel like I keep it really low to the ground and just rotate instead of like kind of flipping my hands. I My hands feel like they, they stay pretty steady and I'm just kind of swinging left and low if that makes sense. So, but like I said, it's, it's more about the speed that you have at the bottom and how your club interacts with the ground. It's all about ground interaction with your, with your wedge and how that gets delivered. Obviously you can't have any grass or anything between the ball, but, and you have, you have to have a pretty good lie to do all that, but it's being not a very technical guy that is hard to kind of explain. Over no, that's the, sure. You feel more speed versus less though, just for the purpose of the listeners, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. If you want to put that actually nasty, nasty spin, but we want the nastiest spin possible. <laughs> yeah, and it's just different. Like if you want the really, really low one or the kind of the high spinner, it's just different way to kind of throw your hands at it. But I feel like I have to be more in person to like really know what I'm talking about. But um, that is a big thing, I think. Just like I said, the, the grind and just making sure that you can you can hinge at the back. And then hold, or you can hold the whole time. It's just all about how you deliver that that face at, at impact and keeping it 
I keep my hands forward at impact and kind of hold that and just go fast left and low. I want you to play Nostradamus and give us a prediction and then play Rules Czar at the end of that prediction. And that is on a prediction on where this distance race is going. So that's the led by Bryson DeChambeau, right? And then at the end of that play, Rules Czar, if you were the person that was designing the rules of golf, what, if any, and it doesn't need to be any, would you do to maybe stem the tide? I think it's more of, I mean, because it's already they're already limited, you know, the the drivers and the ball. I think they, they everything is already maxed out. I don't think they can really do anything else to really improve on distance. It's just more. But they can of, certainly dial it back, right? Oh yeah, for sure they can they can dial it back. I don't think that's the because then you'll be hurting also players that are not quite there. You know, like for I don't know, like uh, let's say the average golfer are on the, on the PGA Tour on, on distance. That guy is always is also going to come down. He's always going to go back. If if you dial it back, you're down back everybody. So by them putting it like Bryson putting in the work and really getting strong, it's not like he's just happened over overnight. This guy has been working at this for a long time, and it's I got tremendous respect for being able to have that much. First of all, time outside of golf to <laughs> to do all that, you know, the two a days and work out and everything is is catered to to get bigger and stronger and faster. I think that is fascinating and to respect because that's a lot of work and i think mainly it's just if there's golf courses that they doesn't matter how far you hit it you still got to be in the right spots i think it's more just golf course design i know i mean this is just moving forward you know i think there's so many good golf courses and most golf courses that i think they're great they're not even they're not even that long and i think it's not moving forward i don't think golf courses should be designed to be 78 or 8,000 yards long. I think with a good design, you, you can you can dial those guys back just by how you should play that. Sure, forcing their hands, so to speak. Exactly. But um, going back to the question, what was the actual question I got deviated? Well, no, I'm, I'm curious if, if it's something that you're prioritizing. Is Are there actions that you're taking to build on any speed? I know you, you spoke about being with your trainer, and I assume that's just continually getting stronger and faster. But I'm just curious how much of a priority it is for you. Yeah, no, I mean, I... I think I feel like I'm squeezing a lot, a lot of I <laughs> yeah, can sure. out of my out yeah. of my body, but um, yeah, I mean that I want to hit it farther, of course, but that is definitely not my priority right now. I definitely my whole goal is to obviously you know you're trying to get faster and stronger every year and hit it farther, but I think there's so many other things that I can get better at, and I'm not really putting that much attention because just know with I have to gain so much weight and, and muscle and. But there's there's not a ton of room where I can really take this, you know, on my with my height and like with my frame. I don't think there can be that much of like, man, I can improve on hitting it 30 yards, you know. So I, I think I just want to get better, for example, with my wedges, you just dial those in a lot and just be a better golfer all around uh, other than just kind of hit it far. final question before we hit you with a few quick hits to finish up with as you look at now your peers are really it's not pj tour it's the top 20 in the world and we talked about you trying to find ways to get better we talked about obviously distance is a common thread among those top 20 in the world for the most part with a few exceptions but as you are paired each and every week with the best in the world what would you say are the distinguishing factors that you've observed and and going back to that early experience with rory next year on the range i'm curious how that's changed over time that now that's not just rory that's number one in the world or whatever it's it's the guy that is truly your peer and who you're striving to to win just as much as and i'm curious of what are those things now 
where you feel like, okay, to be in the top 20 in the world, here are the one, two or three things that you really have to have. And let's assume distance. Let's, let's exclude that from your list. Yeah. I mean, if you see the, the top 10 or top 20, there's most of the guys hit it pretty far. So yeah, that's one thing that, I mean, it's never going to hurt. You got to hit it straight, obviously, but I play with, I play with Dustin when he was 11 under through 11, remember that tournament? And so, I mean, that's when you see a guy that is at the P or like, this guy's not doing anything wrong. And it was very impressive. I was playing with Leishman that we were just like, this is nasty. Like what, what is like, what is going on? What were you telling Dustin at the time to cool him off? We were just, we were just staying away, man. The guy was just, I mean, so, but yeah, you, you, when you see somebody that is playing at their highest level and I've also played with Dustin when he's not playing his best. So you, you realize, man, these guys are, everybody's human. Like I've played with him when he just didn't play his best. And I've played with him when he's played his best golf. And you're like, it's the same guy. It's just like, that made me realize that, I mean, stuff like that. I mean, that's golf, man. It's just weird how you can just be hot one week and a month after you, you can kind of lose a little bit what you're doing. So putting, obviously you can't really deny that you got to be a good putter to, I feel to stay up there. It's really tough to, uh, to be that feeling in the top 50 in the world. If you're, if you're not, a if you can't rely on your putter, I feel like, uh, unless you're, how much of it do you think is attitude? Like how much do you observe a different attitude from the uh, top 10, top 20, top 30 in the world versus those that aren't? That's true. I wasn't, yeah, I wasn't thinking about that, but I think it's just the mental side of things. I mean, the, the top 50 in the, in the world, top 20, I mean, they're all, feel like they're all bulldogs and they 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 want to stay up there and they they're hungry and they they don't like to lose and you see there's maybe i mean even most of them are, are friends but they want to they want to beat each other out there and then i think it's just more of a not ego but you know like man there's no chance i'm gonna lose to this guy or i'm gonna make make bogey or whatever whatever it is whatever drives you everybody finds something to push you for me I, and I, I always go out there and try to play a, like a bogey free round and i like even yesterday, I'm in a play in Augusta for the first time. I'm like, I'm not making a bogey today. And it's funny. It's like, I always try to find something like that to just push me and just keep me in. Even if I'm just playing a normal round with my buddies or, you know what I mean? So I always find something to kind of push me and, and I get into it. And I, I hate, like, for example, if I do that and I, yesterday I was bogey free until 17 and uh, playing, re- it was playing really good. And end up three putting 17 i was pissed and i was like god i can't believe it or whatever <laughs> and that was the only bogey i made all day and, and after, even after i played another nine and but yeah i think people in the, in the top 50 top 20 or whatever it is they find always something mentally that if any of you're playing bad golf you find something to to push you and to keep you in it or to snap out of it and, and get and get after i think that's that's one of the biggest things yeah, you brought to mind something when you said oftentimes my my inspiration or my intent, the goal that I have is a bogey round. And we were told a story about your nickname back in college. And so this is a bit of a fact check on the front end. And that nickname was The Eraser. Is that true, false? Oh, uh, was that Coach Hibble? Coach Hibble, yeah. So he always mentioned to me that I that I had one of the, I didn't even know this stat or the, the it was a stat or whatever that after I made a bogey, he could always bet that I was going to make a birdie no matter what on the next hole. Right, bounce back. And just bounce back. And he was like, I kept track of this bounce back stat. And I, even if I, I follow you on tour, you make a bogey, I can bet that you're going to make a birdie coming up or something. And that's always that kind of what he stuck with him and, and with me. And yeah, I mean, 
hate making bogeys, man. You got you gotta erase those and and bring it back right away. Right. Nice. And that's true. And and then Michael Gellerman followed with his interpretation of your nickname, the eraser. And, and Michael said, well, yeah, Abe was so good. He made very few bogeys and so many birdies that he was erasing the rest of the team's bogeys. <laughs> yeah, we played a lot of golf. Did he do a podcast with you guys? No, we, or just, you we, just we, reached out, we reached out for some intel. Gotcha. Yeah. Right yeah. Great buddy. Man. We played so many rounds together there at Jimmy Austin. I remember we, there was a streak that he still is like, I still can't believe how you did that. Or like whenever we, we hang out and, and play, because we played every single day, pretty much. We'll go out of class and we didn't have any, if we didn't have any practice, we'll just go out and play and play and play. And there was a streak in there that it was qualified. It was like, what was it? Quali- what, quali- qualifying, yeah, I guess yeah. they call it. Yeah, qualifying. It was like four rounds, and then we played like three in the weekend or whatever for fun. And I didn't make a bogey for like the whole week of the golf course. And Mike Michael was like, "Oh, here we go. We got to put it for par or whatever, you know." And it was, it, it was. I don't know why. I just blacked out for like a week there, and I didn't make a bogey. <laughs> yeah, he told that. us. Yeah, he said seven days in a row without a bogey. No so worries. we're gonna hit you with a couple of our, our quick hitters to close, and one of them, if you can go bogey free so frequently. That's accompanied not only by good ball striking, but it's also a really good strategy, right? Really good tactics. I'm curious, even on the PGA Tour, what are the worst strategy mistakes that you see, even from the best players in the world, where you might be playing with someone and being like, whoa, I, I can't believe that this guy's taking this on or doing this? Because clearly, bouncing back or making very few bogeys, it's a strength of yours. Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I mean, it's hard to really see some guys out there that you're that you're really like man i can't believe he he tried that i mean because for the most part guys out there their plants are really good and they're, they're playing they're catering to their strengths you know but there's been a couple of times that are like i can't believe that he went for that when the pin or when he's blowing this way and the pin is there's only one spot that you can really get up and down for and and you're like there's no way it's going to end up there and then they obviously they hit it in the wrong spot and you're like wow that was stupid but <laughs> There's not many really instances that that happens. I think that's why the guys on the on the PGA Tour are so good because they they know their strengths and they they cater to that. I don't know what it is about bogey free rounds, and it's not like that. I have had many. I don't I mean that I, not that I have many bogey free rounds, but it's just uh, you just gotta play solid golf, nothing fancy, and looking at the middle of the green is not a it's not a bad thing, especially on the PGA Tour. I mean the greens get a little bit firm. Sometimes the targets are not that the greens are not that big and you won't have a long putt. So starting to take appreciation for like a 20 footer and you're like, this is not that bad. I mean, you know what I mean? So that, that kind of know that you're playing really safe. You, I mean, I'm still I'm very aggressive when I when I have the green light. But if there's I mean, there's some trouble, there's nothing wrong with having a 20 footer. To validate your point, I was with Harry last week at Sherwood and we were in the practice round and I, I threw a ball down around the green and what I thought was a pretty difficult spot. And I said, hey, let's come hit one from over here. And he looked at me and he picked up the ball and he said, I'm on the PGA Tour because I'll never miss it here. <laughs> this is not a spot <laughs> there you I'm go. ever going to miss it. So let's go somewhere else and we can chip from somewhere. So I, funny, I might dude. actually it's hit unbelievable. it. <laughs> um, Swing thoughts. This is a question that we ask everybody and we get a lot of different answers. Are you managing one to two swing thoughts? Do you play your golf where you you feel pretty blank? Obviously, without a technical coach, I would assume that there's not too much technique focus in your mind when you're performing. What is the mindset as you're over the ball in competition? Not really. I, I'm stepping into the ball. I'm behind the ball and I always picture my shot, right? I know where if I want to move it a little bit. 
right to left or left to right, whatever it is, and where, where I want to see it go and land. But once I'm over it, it's just more of a feel. I kind of get I, I set up into it, and I'm not really thinking. I just kind of react to the kind of shot that I want to hit. So there's not many swing thoughts. For me, like for this, this last month and a half, I haven't hit it my best iron-wise. I, I kind of struggle in the playoffs and, and this first events. Just kind of the contact of what hasn't been as good with my with my irons losing it right. And I don't know exactly what it is, but sometimes you know exactly what you're doing and you still can't really, you know, get it to or, or feel it. So I'm, I was taking it a little bit kind of inside. And if I want to hit a draw, then I didn't really I'd go a little bit over the top and you can't have a chance to hit a draw from there. So that's kind of what I've been working on. And if anything, just kind of, I need to take it a little bit that I feel it's a little bit outside to kind of get it there. And then I have room to, to draw it or fade it or whatever I want to do. But Right now, that's like the only thing that I can that I'll probably be thinking of, not during the tournament, but just like practice rounds or like on the range. That's what I'll be thinking of. But once I'm in tournament mode, I'm not thinking about, oh, I got to take it outside. I just. You just triggered another one there, real quick. Do you play one ball flight or you play the flight fade or a draw, depending upon the situation? Yeah, depending on the situation. I love, love hitting both shots. Not much, but I do. I like to see it kind of come down in a little bit of a. I love to work the ball towards the pin from the middle of the green. The conversation's been amazing. It's exceeded our expectations, and our expectations are always high. So well done. It'll also exceed the expectations of our listeners. Can't uh, thank you enough. And in closing, I want to give you the opportunity to maybe share where people can learn more about you, as you would want, sorry, and also about um, your your company, your business endeavor. Oh, yeah, nice. So the PJ Tour did a pretty cool video not too long ago on just these, like, how we talked about growing up and they, i think they did a, a pretty good job on like showing where i grew up and if they want to see the actual golf course where i did grow up there's there's a video that they put i think it is it's called uh no borders we'll put it in the show so notes. they can go yep. they can go on on youtube and the pga tour uploaded so yeah they can see it both in english or in spanish they did both and that will just showcase there will be like a actual video that they can see kind of what what my background and stuff i think they did a good job and uh and yeah look, Fletch Azul. I love right it. Yeah, Fletch right. Azul, yeah it's been a lot of fun project that we've been working at for almost almost four years and we launched uh, five months ago so we put a lot of work into it we're extremely happy with with what we came up with and uh yeah i mean the, the website pretty much has all the information if people in texas need to need to go snag a bottle or all of them if they want everything <laughs> but um but yeah, it's been it's been a lot of fun, man. The tequila world is, is something that I'm really passionate about. Love yeah, it. we started recording at 9:30, or else we would have been having some fletches with you. So our next <laughs> our next podcast we'll hopefully do in person. We wish you the best of luck here in a couple of weeks at Augusta, man. We'll be cheering hard for you, and really, really appreciate your time. Thanks, Ozzy. Thanks so much, guys. I really, really appreciate it. And now I know what I need to work on, so I need to get better <laughs> at my proximity around the greens. Yeah, we look that, forward like, to that seeing baffle, that. That's, that still baffles me, that I... Tenth 130. And, yeah. And, and then 10th and, and scrambling. How does that work? Yeah, yeah. ignore it, mate. Ignore it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or or, or don't ignore it and become number one in the world. Your choice. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, yep. I'm, I'm trying to find the spots where I can. I need to definitely get better. So All right. that's one. We'll look forward to seeing you chip in a bunch at Augusta. <laughs> That'll be fun. <laughs> yeah, man. All right, brother. Thanks, Cheers, man. Mate. See you, guys. Bye, bye. See ya. 
Thanks for listening to this episode. If you want to learn more about Altus Performance, go check out altusperformance.com. We're also pretty active on Instagram, so follow at Altus Performance, and you can also follow on Twitter at Team Altus. If you haven't done so, please hit the subscribe button wherever you listen to your podcast, leave a review, share it with others, and be sure to stay tuned to future episodes of Earn Your Edge. Thanks for listening.